Uh, welcome, David, uh, to my summer lair. And um, this is really, you're enjoying the spot, eh? Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking around and I didn't, I was here the other night and I didn't even notice this yeah. radio station in the middle of the bar. Right. But so, when you were here the other night, you were doing magic and talking to people and. Yeah, true. So yeah, that yeah. kind of, uh, that's distracting, isn't it? Like, yeah, and it was nighttime and it was darker. And, mm-hmm. yeah. But there's actually a radio station inside of this bar. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm, I'm getting my head around this. Yeah. This is amazing. You're in show business. This should be like straightforward for you, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I've not seen this before. Okay. <laughs> not. All it's right. A brilliant idea. And we have our moments here. Yeah. I have my beer. Yeah. I'm ready to go. You're ready to go. <clears throat> Beaming from Pacific Junction Hotel to Earth. Girth. Um, I mentioned that you are in show business. You are obviously one of the magicians uh, featured in uh, Magician's Life in the Impossible. And um, how did the the doc kind of come to you? Or why did you say yes to the doc too? That's a good question. I mean, they approached me. They had heard about me and um, approached me. And I, you know, I got to know Marcy first. She has a background in magic too. She does, yeah. She has a a background mostly in mentalism, but yeah, also in magic. And so um, it was just sort of like a, it was a gut instinct. I just felt that I could trust her and that it wouldn't it, it wasn't going to be something where they were exposing magic or trying to make us look bad you know yeah and once I kind of got that sense from her and those assurances from her I said all right this this sounds like a really cool um, idea because you know for me magic is I have a different approach to magic <clears throat> than almost anyone which is that I'm really trying to keep everything as authentic as possible I'm trying to be authentic uh, the things I say, I'm trying to be as truthful as possible. Um, I'm trying not even to lie when I perform magic, which yeah. is a, a challenge. Um, but <clears throat> um, so for this, you know, it was like I, I've said no to a lot of different projects, um, a lot of TV projects like uh, Celebra Cadabra, Phenomenon, Wizard Wars, like every every one of these, like uh, what is it? Uh, America's Got Talent has called me every year since the first season. And I, I don't do those projects because they don't feel right. But this one to me felt right because it was an opportunity to be authentic, mm-hmm. which is what I'm all about with magic. So right. it, it really kind of intrigued me and um, it ended up being an amazing experience. Your mom's quite the scene stealer. She, <laughs> she has a couple of moments in she there is. where she... Uh, yeah, my mom is... Uh, She's funny. I don't. I, she's not normally that funny, too. I mean, she, no, she they, has her moments. Yeah, though. no, and they like, capture some good moments. <clears> yeah, <throat> she's quite did. the scene stealer. My dad is normally the scene stealer and the the funny guy, but he was more the straight guy. And my mom was funny. And yeah, I don't know. They haven't seen the movie yet, so I can't wait to watch them watch themselves on yeah on the screen. That's gonna be surreal, isn't it? Yeah, it's gonna be fun. You've you've been in, in Toronto now for a couple of days and you've been to a couple of the screenings as well. How's the audience kind of received it? Are they kind of like amazing, you- man? I mean, it's been like just every beat they react to, like the funny things, the the more serious, somber moments, and um, everything in between. They just yesterday's uh, audience was amazing. You were there, right? Yeah, yeah. I was there. Yeah, <clears throat> it was great. I mean, they just every it seemed like every beat they were just responding to. Um, it was. Amazing, and the movie's really well paced too. Yeah. It doesn't like lag; it's um, it shifts and it, it evolves through the different stories of the four magicians. And I don't know, it just seemed like it was really well well received. I noticed yes at yesterday's screening, since you brought it up, that one of the things for one of your scenes in particular. Um, so you you kind of open the film, you do some magic, and mm-hmm. and then 
they've the audience has already kind of seen you do some of your magic. But then there's this one scene where uh, you're just in your apartment and then you levitate a fork. Right. And I think the audience kind of gasped a little bit about at that scene or a couple people in my row, they kind of, <gasps> because it felt like that was impromptu magic. It wasn't like you had set everything up or you mm-hmm. had all these cues. It was just like, you guess you were just hanging with Marcy or something. She was behind the camera. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm going to do something right now off the cuff. Yeah. And it felt like almost like the audience was reacting to like, that's like real magic. Like you said, the authenticity, not the hustling, mm-hmm. not the con men, just right. like. There's no way that could be like the same thing when you came here to Pacific Junction on uh, Saturday night and you're just doing some magic and you're making coins disappear. And mm-hmm. and it's just like you just I guess. Yeah, it's just it's, real magic. It's different when you see it in person than when you see it on television or, on, you know, on any other medium because you're experiencing it and your senses are your intellect is telling you this is. This isn't real. I know this. Santa Claus is not real. Right. And then you watch something happen and your senses are just overwhelming that intellect. And it's a, it's a wonderful feeling. I love being fooled and watching magic. That's really great too. So I think we all kind of get addicted to that. And those who are really addicted to it then become magicians. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you, you frame your <laughs> occupation now as an addiction. <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. How did you get started? And let's go with the, the beginning. Uh, where, how, what was the first kind of magic or what was the spark that got you into magic? Well, I was in grad school in a master's program for physical therapy. And a classmate of mine showed me some magic and got me really intrigued. Um, and then I started bugging him for a couple of weeks until he, he started to teach me some things. And then I took it from there and read books and started to network in the community and and um and then eventually creating some of some things that were original just to me like you know the light bulb thing at the end of the movie yeah that's a great is, scene thanks yeah that's an original um piece of magic that um fools magicians you know mm-hmm. which is fun to yeah. watch their reactions but um uh yeah so i just i got interested in it in grad school and i was i got into magic a little a little later than most yeah magicians. i was gonna say like that seemed kind of like even just even just hanging with the other guys like with john armstrong and some of the other magicians that you guys are rolling with it seemed like a younger like as a kid thing or something like you go somewhere mm-hmm. you see that disney world and you're like ah guys cool i want to join that party exactly yeah john got into it as a, as a very young kid yeah uh, most most magicians i think did get into it as children and they were hobbyists for their for the first part of their lives and then became professionals that junior magic kit kind of yeah exactly <laughs> with the magic wand and the top uh, hat and the little ball and vase <laughs> yes yeah the classics <laughs> yeah the top hits um but yeah for me it was a much later thing which which actually serves me in a lot of ways because i had to develop social skills before i became a magician and that actually helps me now uh, in life, I didn't have to use that as a crutch, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I think I have a, a more perspective on what magic is, because when you're when you get into magic, um, there's a lot of uh, influence towards things that aren't necessarily good, but everyone's saying they're great, or you know, there, there's just a lot of lemming effect going on there, where everyone's kind of. Um, the community can sometimes be a little blind to good versus bad magic. And, and it, that seems sort of counterintuitive, but, um, does this it, feed back into your authenticity thing again? It does to some degree, but I mean, it's also just like the, the pure effect. When you watch a piece of magic, something happens and it doesn't matter how clever the method is or how, or who, you know, how prestigious the person was that came up with it. Um, at the end of the day, it's like a, a lay person 
can look at magic and go, that's good, that sucks, mm -hmm. you know? And it seems like magicians have trouble with that once they get influenced by the community in certain ways. And so for me, being getting into it later was like, I preserved those eyes, you know? Like I, I can see magic in a way where it's like, I can make a really split second decision on whether something's good or bad and then do I want to perform this or do I want to change that or whatever. And That's it your just, gut again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. it is. Because it, it sounds like what you're saying is like it's almost like an echo chamber, right? Where it's just like everyone's kind of agreed that this is a good thing. Exactly. And then yeah. we're all going to... It's just like a yes man kind of thing. And then There's a lot of that going on. Yeah. yeah. And then whereas like you can kind of quote unquote go rogue because you have your gut, right? I, I, I am rogue. Dude, everything I've done in magic has been rogue. Okay. <laughs> like <laughs> That should be I on your business card. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't go down the normal channels of magic my show that I, I have a weekly show in anaheim you know in a theater like sort of a vegas kind of thing you buy tickets you go to the theater and every single week you know we fill this theater with people voted best and, date night right well best magical date night that's right yeah yeah oh cool you did your homework i did my homework <laughs> yeah see i pay attention to stuff yeah, yeah. so that's a so, cool best magical it, date night it, yeah it was in uh, yeah hot, in la yeah, yeah in la yeah yeah that's nice um but yeah, so, I mean, the normal channels would be you, you know, you become a, a magician and then your peers, you know, give you awards and then you go to Vegas and you try to get a theater and then, you know, and the, the Vegas deals are not great. I mean, it's not like those guys are making a ton of money anymore, um, unless you're really like a big headliner and a big name, mm -hmm. a household brand. Like a Copperfield um, or something. Yeah. The, the other guys that are in those theaters are they're working like six days a week and you know multiple shows a day and and um not making that much for the amount of work that they're doing and so i mean i'm just like i forewalled my own experience i created an experience in southern california that involves magic and wine tasting and um i've been doing it now for almost nine years and i just did it you know it was like it wasn't somebody didn't call me and say hey we have this job for you i had to create it and um and in magic i i i'm like the guy on the sidelines who's just sort of watching everything real quietly and then just doing my thing you know and um you're the ninja very much outside of the mainstream of how things normally go in magic mm -hmm. yeah but i get that's one of the themes of the film itself or the documentary right is that there there is no quote-unquote linear path. Each of the magicians in the movie was kind of taking a different path and mm -hmm. um, had just different bumps along the road trying to be... And that was the other thing, too, was just trying to make a living out of this. Yeah. And trying to establish your name, your brand, but do it so you can pay rent and eat three meals a day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not a um, a secure thing when you get into magic. It's not like that, that nine to five, you know... Yeah solid paycheck with a gold watch at the end of 40 years or whatever i mean it, it's it's definitely a hustle and it is also something where if you're good that's not good enough you have to also be business savvy and get out there and, and make things happen on that side as well if you want to really truly pay your rent with it you know or better yet like how about thrive and like actually make real money at it yeah um so there's all that. I mean, it's sort of an entrepreneur kind of a thing. Everyone's yeah. running their own brand and their own business um, as a as a magician who's a professional. Well, I mean, even for the layperson, they know there's a difference between like Chris Angel and like David Copperfield, 
right? Uh-huh. So they can kind of, it's still like, they're still doing the same things where like swords and flames and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but they can tell the difference, you know yeah. what I mean? So you, as a person who's not into magic, what do you, when you look at Copperfield and Chris Angel, what is your perception? So my beef is um, I don't like the kind of Chris Angel type uh, Ed Hardy kind of <laughs> magic. <laughs> that tattoo, the hipstery, like okay. I'm not a big fan of that stuff. Um, I did, I mean, just growing up, I, I've seen Penn and Teller live. Yeah, they're awesome. And they're fantastic. They did the catch the bullet in the teeth trick mm-hmm. and like a number of like really classic uh, tricks and then they do nice variations too like when they saw the lady in half and then they do kind of variations mm-hmm. on the, those kind of classics mm-hmm. um, so I like that because they're they're blending like the old tradition mm-hmm. with like new mat or new layers and yeah. uh, understanding perception and things like that yeah um, that's a lot more fun <laughs> but growing up I mean in terms of general magic we only had like David Copperfield really like that was the big one that was kind of like pushed and amazing Kreskin was another one kind of floating around hmm. Um and then you'd see like Brian Gillis, who was uh, one of the magicians, and you'd see him sometimes pop up on Carson. And some of those late, like the late night acts would have magicians and stuff like that, which yeah. they don't have anymore, which is no. surprising, yeah. considering how zany Conan is and Fallon is and stuff like that. Yeah. Late night's kind of hard because um, it's um, the host has to kind of keep a certain amount of control over whatever's happening and then also add a certain amount of humor into things so mm-hmm. they can kind of really mess a lot of magicians up in that yeah. way. Um, I know that Letterman was not very magician friendly. So during his whole run, he rarely, if ever, had a magician on. I think he had a couple on. And then that was kind of burned the bridge. <laughs> yeah. Maybe towards the end, he had a couple more. But yeah. yeah. Uh, but he, it's hard for him not to mess with the magician on there, you know? So I don't know what it is about all that, but I know that uh, Craig Ferguson is pretty magician friendly. Like, there's been Magic Week on Craig Ferguson's show, mm-hmm. and it was it was huge. Like, yeah. people tuned in for it, you know. But uh, you've done quite a bit of television. Like, I've done two uh, two series where I was casted on. You know, one was MTV's Room 401, where it started as a magic show, mm-hmm. and then. Halfway through, they were like, well, we really are going more for like the scare here, you know? (laughs) So it was a hidden camera show. And we, it was called Tricked originally, um, produced by Ashton Kutcher. And then very quickly in that project, they sort of decided, well, we want, we don't really want all this beautiful magic stuff that you guys are, you know, we want arms falling off and like blood. Yeah. So we kind of shifted it all. But, um, one of the things that came out of that was a cool piece that I did where we were like in a crime scene cleanup, you know, mm-hmm. and this company comes in to clean up the crime scene. Um, the kid didn't know he was on hidden camera and we basically like created, a, there was a dead body on a gurney and we created a ghost that came out of the, the body. What? <clears throat> yeah. It was, um, I think it's somewhere on my website too. There might be some video on there. Um, DavidMinken.com. So if you want to check it out, it's, it's a cool piece and, and it's hidden camera so the kid literally is like freaking out that yeah. he is seeing <laughs> a soul rise out of a body at a dead, you know, yeah. crime scene murder. Mm-hmm. So um, that was fun. And, but the rest of that project was kind of maybe a little disappointing in the sense that we had all this really awesome magic plan and, and we couldn't do it. You know? Yeah. Um, or they brought in stunt guys and shot it, you know. And, oh and we man, like, what, what a rip. You already shot that piece? You know, yeah. it was like, oh man. But then Travel Channel was, was really cool. Um, Magic Outlaws, that series, 
we actually got to do what we what we wanted to do, which was to perform magic on television for people that were just walking by, you know, on yeah. the street and stuff. And it was cruising around in a convertible. Yeah, it was really it was it was a fun one. And some of those those pieces came out really well. Um, mm. I'll post uh, something on Twitter if you want, and I'll send, send put a couple links. Yeah, up there yeah. So if, you, if your listeners want to check out some yeah, of the videos, yeah, for sure. That. That'd be cool. Yeah, David Minkin is the Twitter account. So. And in terms of like performing magic on uh, TV, is there kind of something a little bit more different? You kind of touched a little bit about this in terms of like the audience perception. Is there is there a difference in the way that you shoot magic on TV or the way that they perceive it? Or yeah, there's more scrutiny when you perform something on television. It's the opposite of what people think. Like they think, oh, it's on television, so it must just be camera tricks, and um, that's easier. Mm-hmm. Okay, but no, it's um, <clears throat> I mean. For some magicians, they use they cheat it, you know. Mm-hmm. But our thing with Travel Channel is we we did we had some basic ground rules. Like at least I did for myself on that that uh, series was <clears throat> I didn't want to have the the um, camera or the the process of television be the method by which the magic was accomplished. There was n- no way that was going to happen. The other thing was. Um, I didn't want anyone in a shot who was in on it and reacting. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because that, that's happened with one magician on television. I won't name names, but there's one. All right. Um, and so I, I wanted it to be, if someone's reacting on television, it has to be organic reactions. The, the people in the shots have to be real people walking down the street. And that's what we went forward with. And we got some really cool stuff that came out of that series for magic outlaws um so yeah i'll put some video links up yeah can, we'll do that, do like one of them is a continuous shot mm-hmm. so that's one way that you can um you can establish that the medium is not being cheated by having it be a continuous shot from beginning to end and in one case we had to do it that way otherwise it would have totally been assumed yeah that we did something with the edit you know yeah. so um so there's that the other thing is like you have to be careful that certain things don't break frame mm-hmm. because if something goes out of frame for a second, people will just be, oh, that, that's where it yeah. happened. Like You have to be really careful and you have to plan things in advance and make sure that the fairness of everything is really demonstrated with television. Otherwise, people will naturally assume that it's not. Yeah. No matter how hard you're working and no matter how magical it is for the people there, you have to make sure the home audience can also experience it that way. The spectacle and wonder. Yeah, it's hard. It is hard. That does sound a lot like a lot of work. In terms of then, you saying you wanted like real people or people off the street when you're doing that kind of mat, and even today on the weekend when you're doing stuff in the bar here, uh-huh. um, you're just obviously like just random people. Like you didn't, you just first time in Toronto, so you just wandered into the bar, and now you're doing yeah. magic. How are you? I know this might be a difficult question to answer properly, but like, how are you're reading people different than most people read people? Is that a fair way to say it like you're looking for certain cues or certain kind of in terms of approaching them yeah like to oh, know yeah, for sure yeah um i actually lectured on this um to magicians about how to open up strangers to magic <laughs> yeah because that's what i'm getting at it's yeah. a little bit intimidating even even after you've done it five thousand times when you go to that first person in the bar and you don't know anybody in a situation it still gives you a little twinge you know mm-hmm. but um it's always fun because by the end of the night, you've won it over one way or the other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you've, you've won over that that place. You yeah. Know? And um, 
one little thing, I mean, as far as approaching strangers that I had discovered that's really like weird and nuanced is when you walk up to people, if you walk up to strangers and you approach them and you arrive and then you say, hi, I'm David, blah, blah, blah. You, you start your sentence. Mm-hmm. They're already kind of like, what's, what's going yeah, on I know. there, right? So what I do is I start my sentence like 10 feet away loudly towards them as I'm walking up. And it, it totally changes the dynamic for some reason because it um, it allows them to kind of have a couple seconds to adjust to the fact that I'm approaching. Oh, I see. Yeah. And then it also, I'm, I'm a little louder, so mm-hmm. it's just a little more confidence that's projected and not in a loud, obnoxious way, but just yeah, yeah. like I'm, there are a few feet away, I have to be louder, you know? Yeah. And I don't know, it just, it just works better. It's a weird thing, but it works so much better if you start your sentence 10 feet away from walking up to people. Does that, that kind of, um, I'm going to use the word psychology because I'm not sure what else to call it, but does that kind of psychology, does that help you? Mm-hmm. You talked about how magic is also like a business and an entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Does that kind of help you? Does that, that psychology kind of inform you and in how you do your deals and how you talk to people and how you, like outside of magic? So when you're like booking theaters or talking to agent or something like that. Yeah, I mean, to the, the degree that, you have to sometimes fake confidence, you know? I mean, you can't go out on stage and be less than confident, even if you're not feeling it. And, yeah. and the same goes in business too, where you just have to like be confident. I mean, it's one of those things that you, you have to do in life, I guess. But as far as the reading of people, um, I guess it applies a little bit to that. Yeah. I mean, the mentalism stuff is um is a whole other thing yeah <laughs> that's a whole other thing that's stuff Correct. we were doing with mind reading and yeah like that that's that's what i was that's meaning more that's why art. i said more like the psychology kind of like you know what mm-hmm. i mean kind of b- better reading people and kind of picking up those cues well i'm kind of naturally a bit more intuitive with i think that kind of thing i'm more of an introvert really when it comes down to it so i'm a pe- people watcher anyways yeah and I, can, I can read certain things maybe um definitely like when you're when I was starting out, okay, I, I got good in restaurants when I was doing 10 approaches a night or mm-hmm. 20 approaches a night to tables and doing magic for people. And I learned really quickly um, how to read people's body language because if people are leaning towards each other and talking, you definitely don't want to approach them. Right. Um, that's They're engaged in some sort of more intent conversation, you know, versus people who are leaning back and talking, you know. Mm-hmm. And just things like that, you you learn very quickly. But I like the uh, the scene where you're performing at a bachelorette party in the documentary, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just the uh, they're all oh like just uh, it was about twelve or fifteen girls or something like that, and they're all like just drunk and just obnoxious just and hammered, hammered. Um. Uh, <laughs> but you you had an aside to the camera, and uh, you mentioned like I'm not gonna do any of the deeper artistic stuff. I think that was the line you had, or something similar yep. like that. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that? What did you mean by like the deeper artistic stuff? Like, um, a lot of the magic I do is is more contextual and more meaningful magic. Like, um, there's a an effect that happens, a magic effect, but but you put it into a context that has deeper meaning, and that's what I love about performing magic. There's certain situations where <laughs> you can't do that because people are hammered, yeah. and and it becomes short attention span theater, and you're like basically trying to do more effects mm-hmm. in a shorter amount of time to keep their attention because they're just that blitzed you yeah. know um 
they were fun. They were a really good. Group, yeah, yeah. But um, and, it's and, a cool scene too. Like it yeah. cracks people up and like. Yeah, it's fun. And actually, one of those girls in there, um, Autumn, who is a really good friend of mine now. Like we've become really close. Um, and she's like. I gotta see this movie. I'm I'm embarrassed. I, I'm so <laughs> I'm so worried that we came off too high, too drunk or something. But yeah. no, nah, they were cool. You know the the one girl who was like passing out yeah. in that in that scene. I literally had a a girl passing out in the, in the front row of my show. Like that it, that was a first for me. Yeah. Um, and that they weren't with the bachelorette party. There were two people that managed to buy tickets outside of the rest of the group. Yeah, because there's a dude sitting in the row. Exactly. Right? And they and set up the scene as a bachelorette and then there's exactly. this dude just sitting there. I'm exactly. Like, there were two people that like awkwardly yeah. were sitting <laughs> in the middle of this bachelorette party. But they were the most drunk. So it was like, <laughs> all right. Whatever know. works, right? I, I try to stay away from bachelorette parties yeah. these days. It is counterintuitive as that may seem. Like you would think, oh man, that's yeah. that's a dream gig. No. No, I just leave it for the strippers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this beer is pretty good, man. There we go. And in terms of um you do one of the aspects of your um magic is levitation. So how did you gravitate towards levitation? See what I did there? Yeah, <laughs> I not saw bad. That, dude. <laughs> High fives. Yeah. High um, five for that one. So yeah, how did you gravitate yeah. towards levitation? Because that's a different because again with the, the four magicians that are in the documentary, yeah. Yours that's one of the differences with what you do. You do like the levitation kind well, of you know what's funny is that I don't that's not my specialty. Like it, it sort of got billed that way yeah. in the write-up of the movie. Mm-hmm. but And it also in the way that they edited it, because I guess those are really visual things. So they, was of so all cool. the things that we shot, and we yeah. shot a ton of stuff. Yeah. Like we shot all kinds of different types of magic for the movie. But I guess they really kept putting those levitation things in because they liked him. And now I'm the levitation guy. You yeah. Know? But uh, no, I mean, I I... I focus on all kinds of different things like coin magic and like like magic with things that you've never seen, like the hourglass. Did yeah, I do that? You, you did that um yesterday after the screening. Oh. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh yeah. you put some sugar in there and that Right, right. I'm not gonna ruin it, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> Created a yeah. An hourglass. Like things that are totally a- unexpected, you know? Um, that's more fun in in a way. But levitation's one of those things that is so it's so simple mm-hmm. and so visual and people just look at things and they're just like, what? Yeah. And so like levitation gets into, into the film because it's so visual, you know? And it's the hardest one, I think, for people to kind of figure out, like, you know what I mean? Like when you're making the coins disappear, it's in your pocket, it's mm-hmm. whatever, right? Yeah. Um, they, everyone has a theory. But when it's levitation, the theories get really more thin. Yeah. Right? And especially when they, they um, like... Uh, did I do something with with a credit card by any chance? No, what's that oh, one? Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll have to do that later or something. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's certain levitation that disproves any theories they might have as well. And that's always fun, you know. That was old school, too, where, like, um, when we were talking about David Copperfield, like, so, he would levitate a girl or something, and then they do the hula hoop. Yes. Right? To show yeah. that there was no wires to kind of establish right. that, like. The old hula hoop. The old hula hoop, yeah. <laughs> you know, none of you guys traveled with a hula hoop to no. Canada. No. I, so I, I was kind of disappointed, man. What happened to the hula hoop, man? You're just doing like coins and hourglasses. Like, come on. There's no reference for me. <laughs> Next time, man. I will pack a hula hoop just for you. Thank you. That's all I um, ask. 
Yeah, no, at Copperfield, I mean, he he did something. He used to do the flying thing where yeah. he would fly around the stage. Mm-hmm. Then they would like put him in a plexiglass box, mm-hmm. close the lid. He would fly in there. They'd bring out hula hoops, mm-hmm. twirl them around him. You yeah. know, like how many ways can you show that there's there's not what you think is going on? Yeah. You know? But as you do more and more magic, can you can you see what the or know what the other magicians are doing? Their sleight of hand. Can you see their? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, but they're we still get fooled all the time too. Yeah, you know, it's a lovely feeling when you think you know all this stuff and then someone just smokes you. you know? Yeah, it's a great thing. And in terms of your show, you even in the documentary, you talked about always wanting to get better and always wanting to improve and stuff like that. Yeah. How? How often are you coming up with new tricks or new ideas? How often are you developing a new show? It depends on what's going on in my life. If I'm if I'm if on a TV project, it's like all kinds of creative juices get flowing really fast and I have to like create a bunch of stuff and try to keep it fresh and original and new. Mm-hmm. Um in at least in part, you know, like there's sometimes where you'll take a classic and put a spin on it, other times where you just come up with something that that's original that hasn't been done but that was our goal with with magic outlaws was we wanted to perform only perform things that were in some way evolving to some new level even if it wasn't completely original and some of the things were pretty original but um but even if it was a twist on a classic something we didn't want to just take things that have been done and do them again you know so I think we did a pretty good job. I was really proud of that project and all the magicians on it. They were really great. Ben and, and Chris Korn, they were awesome. In the documentary too, there's a scene where uh, you're visiting your mom and then you're talking to your agent and you want to make sure that uh, Magic Outlaws didn't like incorporate or you, like um, that you your the magic that you had developed over the number of years, I think you said 13, um, it was still protected. It was under your, mm-hmm. it was your intellectual property, I guess is what I'm trying to, your magic yeah. property, I guess. I don't know what the... But you yeah. know what I'm saying? So how... In terms of magic now, when you're coming up with a new trick or a new idea or something like that, is it... Are you just keeping it for yourself, quote-unquote, or is it are you something you're contributing to the to magic community? Um, Does that make sense? Yeah. At the moment, it's it's stuff that I want to perform. Eventually, later in my career, I'm going to obviously give everything I can give back. But for right now, because I still aspire to do television, Mm -hmm. if I come up with an original idea, I want to kind of hold it and then see if I can perform it on TV and have it be something that's, you know, original. So a lot, there's a big temptation in magic to publish and to receive the accolades from your peers and give, uh, you know, create a DVD on this new trick that you just thought of that you haven't actually fully worked out yet. Yeah. And, um, and that's, there's a whole industry of that. And I've, basically held that off completely at bay because I'm not going there yet in my career. I, I'm trying to do television. And once once I give up and I'm like, hey, I'm just too old to do TV. Yeah. And all my teeth are falling out. And the arthritis like, doesn't work so well exactly. for the coins. <laughs> like then I absolutely plan to to give everything I can give back. Um and I'm writing a book very slowly over time that um I really think is is going to be a cool one. And uh, hopefully we'll give a a fresh perspective on some things that would be valuable to the magic community. It's a it's a long process to write a book. I don't know if you ever tried. Yeah, to it is a long it's process. Like, yeah. Wow, it's so high. so. It might be published posthumously. I might be in the <laughs> grave. I don't know, but um, but very slowly it is being written, and it's mostly theory. It's mostly like philosophy and that sort of thing, and um, performance theory. Um, 
different different tricks will be in there, but it, illustrated by this this underlying theory that's going on. Do you what else you have cooking then other than the uh, the best magical date night in <laughs> Los Angeles? What else other cooking? than a book? Um, uh, is that kind of are you hoping to get like back more into TV or develop a show or something? Or absolutely, yeah. That's that's what I really want to do most in the near future. Um, obviously, doing my live show every week, filling that show has been a huge priority and a, a massive amount of time, and it's super fun. Like. Even if I never did any more television, I'm still happy based on the fact that I get to go out every week, go up to an audience, you know, and perform for 90 minutes and receive um, the, the gratitude from that audience, which is an amazing feeling. And, and also just giving them this gift, which is magic, you know. So that to me is, is really satisfying. Um, but I have to... I have to try to get another TV show before I'm too old to do it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I'm, you know, getting up there. So, <laughs> so I gotta, gotta get that going this year, but it was cool actually this week. Um, because of the movie, I had a few people come up already and say, you know, nice. look for a production company, give me a call next week, you know? So we'll see what we can get brewing again. Okay. Well, have yeah. to have you come back with the hula hoop and then hopefully with the TV. The hula hoop. Yeah. Even uh, if I just hula for you. That would probably um, be enough then. Yeah. Okay. If you Sweet. have a TV deal or a TV show even, that's great too. <laughs> but <laughs> um, yeah, no, that'd be great. Thank you, David, so much for coming My in and pleasure, talking man. magic and uh, just hanging thanks out and having beer. Thanks for and, having and, me, yeah. man. It's been cool meeting you and just doing magic around here. Yeah. So, and hopefully the, the film will be able, uh, Marcy and Christoph will be able to sell the film or mm-hmm. it can kind of keep going and kind of expand and, and reach more audiences. So I'm not yeah. really sure how it's been going for them in terms of selling it at hot dogs, but I'm sure yeah. it'll, uh, the audience has been really digging it. So yeah. that's yeah. a huge boost. For so sure. thank you for visiting my summer lair. My pleasure. Thanks. <laughs>